this thing and think we're doing the same thing all the time. As you're turning to Luke 14, I'll tell you a little something I heard this week. Uh, you know, school just kicked back in and the, uh, the kids, they have a program over here in Perry. And Morgan County's fortunate. Uh, they have had WRE, weekday religious education, for over 60 years now. I've got, I happen to be going through some old things and I found my certificate from 1972 from WRE class and I sent a picture of it to them and uh, they were amazed but it, it was different from that. It had a gold seal with a little red ribbon and they're like, I don't, none of them ever remembered doing that so I guess I go way back. <laughs> Starting to reveal too much about myself. But uh this uh, this little girl, she came home from uh, school, and it had been WRE class, and they had learned about creation and God making Adam and Eve, and she was just amazed, and she came home, and she had went first to her dad, and then she went to her mom, wondering what they thought about that, what she had learned, and the mom sat down and took that opportunity to share with her the word of God more fully and to talk to her about Adam and Eve and said, you know, and then showed them that they had families and they had families and it comes all the way down to us. And the little girl looked at her a little puzzled and said, but mom, when I asked daddy about it, he said that we just all came from monkeys. <laughs> mom just smiled and said, darling, he's just talking about his side of the family. <laughs> so, anyway... Luke chapter 14, if you're there. Man, this beautiful Lord's Day that, that God has given us. Boy, let's just share His love with people today, okay? You look around and see that someone that's not here or someone that we mentioned, give them a shout today. Give them a text, give them a phone call, or make out a card, or just drop by with anything. A jar of jelly, a cookie, and say hi to them, okay? And let them know that they were missed. But... The Word of God in the 14th chapter, beginning of Luke, is going to open up the heart of God. We're going to see Jesus came in human form to represent God and to show who and what He was. And we're going to see a big part of the heart of God right now as we begin to go through these. Have you ever lost something? Have you ever lost something that was really valuable, really important? Like nowadays, it might be your phone, and people go, Oh my goodness, where'd my phone go? And they start looking around. Don't give it away that that was you this week. But when you lose something, man, you, that something that's really important, you start searching for it, don't you? You really go after it, and you try to find it. You know where you're always going to find it? If you do find it, the last place that you looked. <laughs> But that's, that's what we're going to talk about today is the heart of God on seeking and saving those who are lost. And the scriptures tell us that the Bible is the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says that the Holy Spirit has searched the deep things and has revealed unto us the mind of Christ. And we have that mind in written form, in this book that we study each week. And so, when we open this up, we are seeing what God and Christ think. And the Spirit has been allowed to reveal to us the mind set that is there. 
So in Luke 14, starting down in verse 25, what a great multitude of people now are starting to follow him. They're, they're gathered around him, and it's like these are the regular folks. These are the kind of people that are like you and I and the people that we're going to see out here at this Paragon homecoming here in a week or so. These are the regular folks. And they're coming around because they need something. A lot of people are filled with heartache, with pain, with financial problems, with things going on in families. People have needs right now in society. And it seems to be getting worse and worse every day as we go on. So these people are all gathering around Jesus for something. And you know what it is? Hope. Don't we all need hope? Isn't it great to see all those precious young'uns walking through? People desire hope, and even Nathan too. (laughs) Uh, People want hope. Whenever you're in these, these situations, you're seeking hope. And they hear a message of hope coming from this man. And so they gather around him to hear some more of it. And Jesus is the one who came, he said, to seek and to save that which was lost, so that people will have the forgiveness of sins, the right for eternal life through faith in Him, and to be forgiven and to lift those burdens off of them. So, they need to know something as they begin to follow Him. And so He's going to turn around to Him now in Luke 14 and verse 25 and start to say this, Their multitudes went with Him, and He turned and said to them, If anyone comes to Me... And does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Wow. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after you have started and laid the foundation, you are not able to finish. And all who see what you started and didn't finish begin to mock at you, saying, This man began to build, but he wasn't able to finish. What king, going off to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able, with 10,000, to meet the one who is coming at him with 20,000. Or else, while there is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and he asks for the conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you that does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how then shall it be seasoned again? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what I'm telling you. And man, when I read that, it was like, wow, are you kidding me? Those are hard sayings. I mean, those are real hard sayings to have to try to follow. Why did Jesus begin as the multitudes came to him? Why did he begin in this form and fashion first? Well, 
Because there's some things that's going to happen when you follow him. And he wants to prepare us for that. First thing, he goes in the middle there, he talks about this tower that a guy begins to build and lay a foundation for. The tower referred here is a fortified tower. It's on the wall. It's whenever you have a fort and you've got the, the walls around it, but you have towers in certain places that are high, lifted up, so that you can defend yourself from that height, but also you can look around and be able to survey everything from up there to see when danger is approaching and getting close so that you can be prepared for what's happening. It doesn't come upon you in a surprise. Now, why did he do that? It goes hand in hand with also saying in the next one that the king that's going to prepare for war has to sit down and consider what he's going against. Why does Jesus start it out that way? Because, if you haven't already found out, when you sign up and enlist with Jesus, you've signed up for a spiritual army and a spiritual warfare. The moment you enlist, you are now engaged in that battle with darkness. Darkness cannot stand the light. It didn't need to come at you when you were still considered a part of it, even though we may not have known it at all. But when you follow Jesus... And when you say, I am giving myself over to you in faith, I am coming to you, I am your child, I want to follow you, then, as the saying goes, all heck's going to break loose. Because now you are following Jesus, and they're going to try to take you down. Problems are going to come, and it's going to be like a battle. So you need to prepare yourself with the Word of God To build that foundation, that edification foundation of a soul within you to prepare, to watch, to be ready, to get ready for the war that's coming at you. And what he's trying to tell you is is that you're going to need, there's 20,000 coming at you. You're going to need more than what you think you got. You're going to need me. And you're going to need my word. And you're going to need my spirit which is within you. So you're going to need to prepare and you're going to have to change some things about who you are. I want you to take up your cross and begin to follow me. It's going to come hard, fast, and furious. Be ready. Pick up the cross and start learning of me. Take my yoke upon you, he said in one place. You know what a yoke is? It was a teaching. It was the teaching of the rabbis. And he said, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and meek, and you will learn of me. Take it upon you. Get ready. You're going to need this in your battle that you're going to have. Because the works of darkness is going to use every tool that it has in the toolbox to try to get to you. And you know where that starts at? Just what Jesus was referring to. Father, mother, wife, husband, children, friends, other relatives, co-workers. He's going to try to start using everything to create a wedge and battle against you in this life. And so what he's saying, not that you want to physically hate these people, but when they come in opposition to what you are learning of me, you want to dislike and hate what they are trying to do, even though they may not even be aware 
of what it is that they are doing. There's going to be things that's going to happen when you change and start to follow me and be like me. He didn't say, come follow me, and it's rainbows and lollipops and everything's fine, and you're not even going to have to worry about changing, and no one's even going to know the difference. No, he says, when you follow me and you bear my cross, and you begin to look and act and talk and think like me, and you're taking my yoke upon you, people are going to see a change within you, and they're going to start reacting to that change. And they're not going to like it that well. It's not everything's okay. Jesus says that old song that we grew up with in the country and western, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. With all of the sunshine, there's going to be a little rain sometime. It's not going to be that easy when you begin to follow me. So you need some things and you need to know some things. Darkness has never liked the light. John chapter 1. Jesus came. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. Came into this world as the light of the world. And the world would not receive it because darkness does not like light. It cannot stand the light. And there begins to be separation. Genesis chapter 1. When God began creating everything and He made First off, the day and he made the night. He made the greater light for the day. He made the lesser light for the night. And then it said God separated the darkness from the light. And it revolved once around and that was day one. God has been separating darkness from light since day one. Because darkness cannot stand the light. And it's going to come at you. And you need to know some things. Be prepared for relationships to change. Be prepared for the snide remarks. Oh, he said the people say, oh, he started to build and then he fell down and he's not doing it anymore. Ha, I told you that was going to happen. If that ever happens, we're going to find out that you go to Jesus and you allow him to handle the problem and you ask for forgiveness. You're going to see that he immediately accepts you and places you back into that fold with him. And you don't have to listen to those snide remarks. But if you hear it, use it as motivation. Don't get angry. Don't get mad. Let it click a light on in you and go, Oh, that's my my little warning signal to say, it's time for me to get back with it and to change. And just tell them, Hey, thanks for reminding me that I need to get back where I belong, okay? And I'm going to get back into the saddle with this thing. So then, as we bear the cross, as I bore the cross, things change in a radical way. And you have now got a bunch of enemies. And you've also got, he said, yourself. Even to yourself. You know why? Because in the fall of the garden, DNA changed. They went from having no death and no sickness, no anything, to a fallen now world and things changed. In the day that you eat of it, you will begin that process of death. Thou shalt surely die. And we've, for those who have been here and heard the teaching on that, there's there's really talking about two deaths. It's actually in the plural there that God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of lives. Because he said, in the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
Adam lived another 932 years, didn't he? So what that actually says, in the day that you eat of it, dying thou shalt die, is what the literal translation of that verse is. And what it means is, dying thou shalt die, you, you die spiritually immediately. He was hid. God had to come seeking for him. Adam, Eve, where are you? Spiritually, death came immediately. Physically, dying, thou shalt die. He died, and then in the future, your body physically was going to die. So, all of this now is happening. We're in a fallen world. Our DNA structure changed, and Romans calls it the flesh. That The flesh in this human form is always going to battle against the spirit. So when you begin to follow me, and my spirit resides in you, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When my spirit resides in you, then the other you that had all the habits and all of the things that you've been doing all of this time is going to war against yourself. So he says, be prepared for that as well. You're going to not only be battling friends and family and co-workers and the world, but you're going to battle yourself as well. Because you have trained yourself all this time to do what you wanted to do. But I'm going to show you a better way. So be prepared to battle with yourself. Paul said what? He said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't do, I want to do. And what a wretched man that I am that I can't get over all of this. And I say amen because I battle the same way that he does. I want to do things and I can't. I don't do things and I should have. And he says, you're going to have a battle with yourself too in all of this. So be prepared. I'm warning you some things if you're going to continue to follow me. And so now as they get ready and they come and they get ready to unpack their baggage and leave it with him, we turn the page to chapter 15. And chapter 15 is the heart of the message today. And I want to get through the first two parables here that Jesus is going to teach. And the first verse there, there says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. Notice that word all. It wasn't a couple. It wasn't a few. It wasn't many. All. All the sinners and tax collectors came to hear him. Why? Because he was different, wasn't he? He was different. We're going to talk more about that in just a second. But they all came now to hear him. And this is a hodgepodge of characters. Sinners and tax collectors is a general lumping of everything that is bad and wrong. It can be your criminal types. It can be murderers, thieves, and those sort of things. It can be on the moral side. It can be anywhere from, and I know you don't like to hear this, it can be anywhere from molesters and incestuous things to liars to hypocrites to extortioners. This category covers everything that you consider sinful in that the sinners and the tax collectors came and gathered around him, all of them. Now, these are the people who have no regard 
for the law of the land, nor for the law of God. They've lived the way they wanted to do all of their lives, but now, all of a sudden, they're hearing a different kind of message, and they want to gather around this guy that's teaching with them. And now you get, you had that category, now you get to the other side. I'm not going to go to any side, I'm going to go up here by myself. Because I am a recovering Pharisee myself. On the other side of the aisle, it says you got the Pharisees as you keep reading. It says the Pharisees saw this. That the multitude had gathered around him. And that the multitude consisted of sinners and tax collectors. And so they, in their snide little world, stand off over here a little bit. And they say, complaining and grumbling, (laughs) That man receives sinners and tax collectors, and he even eats with them. That's about as bad as it gets on trying to label somebody that you don't want to be around. They have set themselves now as those, as scribes and Pharisees, as the ones who consider themselves to be godly, righteous, the good folk. They have really just shown that their heart is in direct contrast against the heart of Christ, isn't it? Their heart is in the direct contrast to His because they want to separate from them and Jesus says, we got to bring them in. And there's the difference that's going on here. So now, they realize that they, because of the hardness of their hearts, they do not realize that they are worse off than the category of sinners and tax collectors that Jesus has gathered around them. But I thought they were the righteous, and I thought that they were this. No. They try to, but religion, the definition of religion is trying to please God by what you do. And they wanted to please God by what they do, and not by what Christ has done for them. And so they think that I don't need Christ. I don't need a guy like this trying to change my life and telling me what I should do because I'm already good enough. And what they don't understand is that if you have that mindset and a hardness of heart, then you will never hear and never change. Sinners realize who they are and they make no bones about it that I need help. And they open up and listen and come to him. The people who really need help are the ones who are now saying, look at who he's eating with. And they don't want to change their mind and hear what the Savior has to say about them. And they're bad-mouthing them and they're grumbling. And it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And now, I'm going to give you an example of these Pharisees on what they picture themselves as as we go to this slide right here. We were going up uh, Thursday to Midwest and it was raining and I came upon this vehicle and I handed the phone to Sue and I said, take a picture of that, I'm going to use that Sunday. Because on the back there it says unique and you can't really see it but it says unique limousine. And the first thing I did was bounced out laughing and saying, you're a bus. You're not a limousine, you're a bus. 
The Pharisees say, I'm a unique limousine. And Jesus is saying, you're a bus and you need help because you keep viewing yourself in a puffed up way in something that you are not. And you need to open up and let this message break free to you. In this culture that this takes place in, we're going to see this for this week and next, that the culture that this place takes place in is a culture of honor versus shame. The family's name, the family's honor, all through it we talk about the name of God and the name of Christ. A family's name and reputation meant everything. And if you were to invite characters of ill repute for dinner to eat with them, in this situation, in this culture, it would be like saying, hey, I condone, I'm with you in this. Come on in, you're an honored guest. And so they, when they say that he even receives them in and says, come eat with me, to them it's a shameful thing. This is, this is low down underhanded they can't stand they couldn't fathom of doing that with someone like that he says when they saw jesus relaxing talking with them sharing with them the good news of the gospel it went right through them because they would never do something like that what's odd is is what had he just told them change Be prepared for what's going to happen to you. Bear my cross. He didn't accept the way they were, did he? He tried to share. That's why they came to him. Because a Pharisee would only go, You are no good, you are low down, and I'll have nothing to do with you, and you stay away with me. How can you share the gospel then with them? And share the good news about Christ if your demeanor towards them is that way. But if Christ can sit down with them, he realizes that by sitting down and sharing with them over something like a meal or a Coke, he can relax and do that because, folks, that has no bearing on your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is based upon grace by faith In Jesus Christ. It's not based upon. I sat and talked to that person. You can be relaxed. In whatever atmosphere. You are in. Because you. If you have knowledge. It says in 1 Corinthians 8. Paul said. If I even went into an idol's temple. And ate the meat that had been offered to that idol. But I was trying to witness to someone in there. I could do that. Why? Because I know that food and drink and all of those things, there are no other gods. I am there to witness and be an ambassador for Christ to them. So I can go in there with full assurance that it doesn't affect my relationship because I am not worshiping anything there. I'm trying to win a soul for Christ. And he says, I can do that. The only thing I have to watch out for is if I have a weaker brother who does not understand that and that leads them to possibly follow suit and to fall down into a trap. So the only thing that I have to be watchful for is that my actions, because I have knowledge of my relationship with God, doesn't affect someone else who's not quite there yet. 
So Jesus can relax and be at home with these. And that's why the people began to follow him. Because finally, someone was paying attention to me. And someone is concerned about me. And that is the heart of God being revealed now in these actions. And on what he's getting ready to discuss with them with this parable. So now, he's got two groups of an audience here. The Pharisees... And the ones the Pharisees say are the sinners and the tax collectors. And to try to reach both of them, he's going to give them a couple of parables. And he says this in verse 3 of Luke 15. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doesn't leave the ninety and nine right there in the wilderness and goes after that one which is lost until... He finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together the friends and the neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you that likewise there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety and nine just People who think that they need no repentance. There is the one versus the 99. The Pharisees and the sinful person. And he says, there's more rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner than you 99 who think I'm okay and need nothing because your attitude stinks. And I can't change your mental attitude if you don't allow it to happen. So he begins... To teach them with this flock of sheep idea. Because they are herdsmen. David was their shepherd king. They understand that lifestyle and what goes on with it every day. Every shepherd worth his salt. If he is counting his sheep and he finds that one is missing. He's going to put them there in safety and leave to go find the one who is not there in that safety. Why? It's not just because it's your duty. It's because you love the sheep. They have a relationship with you because you have been there with them probably through it all. You were there when they were born. You have watched them grow. You've given them a name. You have watched them every night. You take them to green pastures in the daytime. At night, you've got a... a, fenced in little stick and thorn corral to put them in to keep them safe at night. And as they've been watered now and you bring them in, you check each one as they file in through the door and you look, did he get a cut today? Is there infection? How's your hooves look? Okay, Buffy, go on in. Next. And you begin to build a relationship with your sheep if you're a good shepherd. And then, when you see the one, you're not going out there. It's not like, oh, I've got to go do this again. No. The sheep that I have, that I've loved, that I have raised and nurtured, is in need of help. And I've got to go find them. And it says that the shepherd will go out and see these sheep. There's so much in union. It says, didn't Christ say that the sheep, I know their name, they know my name, they know my voice. And they hear me when I call to them. So you, you go out there as that good shepherd. 
And you begin to call their name. And you begin to go after them. And you try to find them. And when you do, what do you do? Do you take out your little whip, start thrashing him and say, I'm going to whip you every step of the way home. I had a grandpa that did that to my mom one time. All the way from the graveyard to the house. Whipped her every step. And then my grandma, when she got there, said, the next lick belongs to me. No, that's not what a shepherd does, does it? A shepherd takes the lamb, it says, places it over his shoulders, grabs those two feet in each hand, pulls that belly up close to its neck, talks to it, carries it home, puts it into the corral with the rest of them, and it doesn't stop there, the story says. The story says that it goes on, that after he brings it back, he's rejoicing, and he can't contain his joy, and he wants everyone to know that's around him. So he calls his neighbors, he calls his friends, he calls the congregation, and he says, this sheep of mine was lost, and now it's found. And I want you to rejoice with me with joy overflowing for this one that was lost and is now is found. And this is the heart of God being revealed through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He's trying to get that message over to the folks that need it, that are searching for hope in His life, of the acceptance that they have when they are found. And He's trying to get the message over to the ones that think, that I'm already okay and I don't need to go talk to anyone else. So this is the picture that he gives to both of them. And he says there is more rejoicing in the heavenly realm. I want you to know that when that one person says, I am coming to Christ, that the entire realm of heaven rejoices over that, that one thing, over that one person rather than the 90 and 9 who are saying I'm living okay and I don't need any of this because we need to know these things because we are like sheep we are portrayed as the sheep in the Bible and it says sheep are prone to go astray aren't we we're prone sometimes it's not even because we thought we wanted to or we were doing it because we wanted to but sheep Without a shepherd and without guidance, they just munch a little bit here and munch a little bit there. And the next thing you know, they're off and lost and they just don't even realize where they got to. That happens to a lot of folks. And that's why we need to seek out early to keep them from getting too far out and you can't find them. Because they sometimes don't even realize what they're doing. Now... Another place that Jesus talks about this idea and this contrast between the Pharisee and the, and the, the sinner was in Luke 18. And I think you remember that story. That's where the Pharisee was praying and he was standing there on the corner and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I, I give my tithes, I do this, I fast twice a week. And I thank you that I'm not like the adulterers or even that tax collector right over there. I'm not like he is. But then Jesus contrasted that with the guy he was pointing at and using as an example. And this man was so humble he wouldn't even look up to heaven. But it says that he just bowed and he smote his breast and saying, God, 
Have mercy on me and forgive me for I am a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you this, that that man went home justified and the other man did not. So the humbleness of heart needs to be there first in our lives as well. And then Jesus moves on to the second parable in verse 8. Then he goes and says, what woman... Ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and she says this, Rejoice with me, I have found the peace that I lost. Likewise, Jesus says, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Here, the Lord switches to a different thing that they would also understand. For you see, the houses in that day, if you've seen pictures of them, as basically stacks of rocks and insides a dirt floor. And so their coins were little small things. It would be easy for that coin to roll off, get knocked off, covered up with dust, and all of a sudden... Your day's wage, this is her savings probably, is why he says she's saved up and able to get these ten coins, and now a tenth of it is gone. She's not going to let that go lightly. It says she lights her lamp so she can see everywhere, and she began sweeping every inch and every corner of that house. And both of these, Christ makes the emphasis that they keep searching until what? Until they found it. You don't just try once and say, I looked for it. It's okay. You know, I did my due diligence. That's on them now. No, that's not what you would do if you had a sheep that was lost. If someone had misplaced your car, had a friend of mine at work, true story. He uh, liked to imbibe on the weekends. And he imbibed a little bit too much. He had a brand new, back in about 1972 or so, he had a brand new Z28 Camaro back then. He had imbibed a little bit. I think he hit a light pole. He knew that if he got caught, he'd already been caught several times for DUI, so he had to leave, so he ran off. Next day, he can't remember anything, so he has to hire a helicopter And he goes and has the helicopter run him around Indianapolis to the places that he remembers being at until he found his car sitting down there by the light pole and they took what the address was in the street and then he went and had a buddy take him over and get the car out of there quickly so that he didn't get picked up. The man searched diligently for his new car. You don't just say, I'm going to leave it there. And that's what's going on here. The heart of Christ says, I search until I find it because it means that much to me. And then it says this. I want you to check real close. Who's rejoicing in heaven? That's not the angels. Look again real close. And there is rejoicing in the presence of God's angels so who 
would be in the presence of God's angels rather than God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because that's all that's up there that I know of that I've read in the Scripture, right? The angels and God. And so if, if the joy is coming from the presence of the angels, then it must be coming from the throne. It must be coming from God Himself. And God is starting this party right now over one person that has now given his life to Christ. You know why? I want to tell you why. Oh, I know the easy answer. The easy answer is he loves us. That's why he sent his only begotten son, isn't it? I'm going to tell you that's the easy answer. Now I'm going to share with you the other answer too that goes along with it. He hates darkness. He hates lostness. He hates what happens if you don't give your life to Christ. And this battle has been going on ever since Satan was able to convince a third of the heavenly realm to rebel against God and go against it. And the trouble started and it's been going on and on. And God hates that with a passion. And then he came down here and caused the fall of mankind. And it's causing God's creatures that he loves to be cast into a hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels. And he cannot stand that. And this is an angelic conflict and a battle. And that's why Jesus said, build your tower. Get your stuff ready. You're going to war. It's a battle that you're enlisting in. Me and my father have been in it since day one. And we hate it. And this is personal. It's the God loving, wanting you to have salvation versus the evil one who wants you to be condemned with him and spend eternity with him. He doesn't want you to be with God who he rejected. And this battle is intense and it's severe. And that's why every single time that a person names the name of Christ and says, I'm coming home, there is rejoicing from the throne room of heaven in the presence of the angels. Because another soul has said, I reject the devil and I accept the grace of your son. And God's joy overflows because my son now didn't die in vain. And that is why there is so much joy over the one person who repents. Paul said Jesus willingly gave up his life of being God and came in human form to seek and to save the lost. To call not the righteous who think they don't need anything. But the sinners who realize they need something to repentance. And he said, of whom I am chief sinner. Why? And it was a true statement. It's, it's an in, indicative in there that means it's a reality. He was the chief sinner. Why? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Put that together now with our story. A Pharisee of, I can do it myself. And by what I think, and God had to knock him off his horse and make him see the light to change his mind. And he said, I was the chiefest of the Pharisees and the sinners. And I learned that Christ died for me. So as our worship team returns, and we've, we've got some work to do out there in this world, don't we? I, as we review this, I, I pray that, that we as the body of Christ here at New Life, that we never think that we are so righteous in the eyes of God and that we don't need any help for ourselves 
And I pray that we'll never think that we're so righteous that we can't relax and talk to anyone. We need folks who will be there that weekend at the homecoming to relax and to talk to everyone that comes by that booth. Give them a drink of water. It may, as you talk about Jesus, that may be the water of eternal life that's going to bring them to a relationship with Christ and bring them here. May we always be filled with humility, with the ability to understand and accept the will of God and what his directive is for us and what he wants us to do. We've got a lot of opportunities coming up to be the salt and the light of this world to this community. I pray that we get behind it in prayer and in action. We need folks with the heart of Jesus reaching those who are searching for hope in a world that doesn't offer them hope but offers them slavery to things of this world. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the power that's in this lesson. Thank you for revealing your heart to us and how that it... Now I understand why in Proverbs that when it says there are six things in chapter 6 of Proverbs, there are six things that God hates. Yea, seven that are an abomination to Him. And the first one and two is a proud look and haughty eyes. May we never be like the Pharisees. May we always humble ourselves realizing the background that we came from, where you have brought us to now through grace. And may we always share that grace and continue to grow ourselves in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his blessed name we ask this. Amen.